What's going on, folks? I am Jordan from Deccan Chronicles, and I am back. I am back from one of the longest hiatuses I've had from the podcast, maybe since the inception of the podcast. I am not sure. Is that the right word, inception? I don't think so. Um, <laughs> but I'm not going to stop the podcast to, to Google it and then find out if I, I'm using words right. But um, anyways, um, guys, it is it is. June 14th, uh, 11.20 p.m. I just got off the phone with John Devney from Delta Waterfowl. We've had him on in years past. He's a great resource for waterfowl hunters, for Delta, for duck hunting conservation. Um, And North Dakota just dropped their um, duck count survey. Um, And so had him on. We talked about that, and it was a great it was a great podcast episode, so I'm excited for you guys to hear um, all about that. Maybe you've heard some some stuff in there, but spoilers, we do talk about pintails. So, um, uh, yeah, I'll just to whet your appetite a little bit there, um, but we do have some updates for you guys. Uh, like I said, it's been it's been a minute since I've been on the podcast, and I'm uh, I'm excited to uh, to jump back into it. Um, I got a bunch of guests scheduled. We're going back to weekly. It's it's uh you know enough close enough to season that I'm ready to jump back on the weekly train and get these episodes rolling back to you guys. Maybe maybe we need a Q and A episode coming up again. Um, but you know I've started some of my waterfowl projects for the summer. Uh, me and my buddy Hunter we have started building another giant blind for one of our hunting spots. Um, so that's going to be a fun one as well. And then, you know, I've been working tirelessly, uh, getting some of these waterfowl episodes, waterfowl hunts from last year that didn't make, didn't make the channel just because, you know, um, I'm hunting hard, I'm editing hard, I'm doing all that and putting out as much content as I can, but nevertheless, some of them don't make it. Uh, I got teal hunts from September, uh, on the Iowa Mississippi trip. Great one. Uh, that didn't make the cut, the, the cut there. Um, I got, I'm looking over at my list over here. I got a dove opener, um, where we just smashed the dove. Um, I got some North Dakota hunts from when me and Josh went out there last year that, um, I got edited and ready to go. Um, I got, yeah, I got a bunch. I got some from, from Michigan, Indiana, late season. Uh, and I had, you know, I, I got a lot of stuff to drop. So, uh, stay tuned. The, the YouTube channel is going to be hopping here. Um, come, come pretty soon here in the, in the off season as well. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much what we got on, uh, going on here. Uh, since I took my, uh, you know, leave of absence, leave, leave of absence. So I think I'm going to be <laughs> a little bit rusty. I haven't, uh, talked into the microphone, uh, since I don't even know when. So, uh, but I'm, I'm actually excited and fired up, you know, creators sometime talk about burnout. I mean, I had a lot going on, you know, uh, with uh, chief passing away. If you missed that chief did pass away. Um, uh, and he definitely will be, uh, missed like you wouldn't believe. And I know I've got so many, uh, you know, messages and, um, emails, Instagram messages, you know, anywhere where people can reach me, um, and tell me their stories of dogs that they've had. And, you know, if, if you haven't had a dog that's passed away, you know, it's, uh, um, one of those things where, you know, you're going to miss them. You just don't know, uh, how that's going to impact you till it, till it actually happens. Um, 
you know, and then, and then jumping to the next topic, which I'm just covering this in case you guys haven't heard in the past. Um, but, uh, Elliot and I have, um, gone our separate ways for podcasts. So, um, it was something we both decided on. Um, and, uh, he's doing, he's got his podcast over the North American waterfowler. Um, I think based off the, the name that, um, the app has changed, which, uh, also to mention, I'm, I'm not working on that project with him, uh, anymore as well, but he's over there, North American waterfowler. If you haven't jumped over and checked him out over there, I mean, he is on an absolute tear right now. He's, uh, <laughs> he's been recording a lot of episodes. So, um, if you've been missing Elliot, you definitely need to check him out over on his new podcast. And, um, and you know, I've got, I've got a bunch of messages too. I think some people think there's some type of hidden beef, um, but there's, there's not, it was just, uh, I think it just kind of made sense for all the stuff we're working on. And, um, you know, it, it was, we, we always made, made, uh, you know, great effort to, uh, uh, combine what we're doing. And, and it's not always easy with, uh, you know, two adults with families and schedules and different priorities and different, uh, um, you know, just, just minor, uh, differences that <laughs> there's no, way I'm going to say this where people are gonna be like, there's something that's, that's not being said. Well, uh, everything's pretty much being said. So, um, you know, uh, I definitely, uh, hope for the best for him, uh, on all his endeavors, uh, moving forward. You know, I, I definitely, uh, I love to have him on here again sometime soon. And, you know, who knows, maybe I'll jump over on his podcast at some point too. And, um, you know, uh, and I'd love, I'd love to hunt with them again too in the future. And I'm, and I'm sure I will. So, uh, just to, uh, squash any of those, uh, comments that I, or messages that I get, you know, uh, here or there. So, <laughs> uh, I've, I definitely had some, some ang- angry messages as well from some, from some of you guys. And, um, yeah, it's, there's just, there's, there's nothing, nothing, uh, nothing hidden behind the curtain that, that we're not sharing with you. No, uh, big fallout or anything like that. So, um, yeah, uh, well, let's get a quick, uh, reminder from our, uh, our Patreon group. So I want to talk about that. That was a, a terrible, um, transition to talking about Patreon, but like I said, a little rusty, I'm going to get through it though. Um, I've done what? 254 episodes. So, uh, it's like riding a bike you just get back on and, and start going and <laughs> hope you don't fall off. Um, but anyways, Patreon group, um, guys, I got a new Patreon group, uh, over there, uh, patreon.com slash duck gun chronicles, um, have two tiers in there. We got one where it's, uh, uh we do weekly calls and I, I call it the ultimate duck hunter, waterfowl hunter. I can't remember which term I used. And it's all it's based off of, um, you know, really a deep dive into different waterfowl topics. We've been having them weekly. Um, just me and two other guys right now. And, um, and I, I've limited that to, to six guys total, um, in that group, including myself. So I guess, uh, three more, uh, but it's a, it's a great time. We talk about, um, how to be the best waterfowl hunter you can and really do like deep dives into different topics. So, uh, and then also we have, um, the, the first, the first tier of the group as well, uh, where you can jump over there and support and you get early access. I'm dropping all these hunts. I talked about, um, a bunch of them already are over there. So if you're getting the itch already for waterfowl content, I mean, I got a bunch of hunts in there and I'm going to keep churning them in there as I get done. And I still have, 
you know, maybe I have more than half of them in there. I probably have six or seven hunts in there, and I have probably about just as many to go um, for early access and uh, um, some other some other great uh, things as well for uh, the people over there in the Patreon group. And then the last thing, probably the coolest thing of the whole thing, uh, of the whole Patreon group, is I'm doing my own hunt giveaway this year. Um, and right now it's looking like we're going to be doing uh, for that hunt giveaway, a Mississippi canvas back diver hunt, um, with a mix of other things, you know, it's just, it's waterfowl hunting. You can always, um, change it up and all that, but that's all tentative depending on, you know, schedules and how everything aligns. So, um, but let's go ahead and jump on to the nitty gritty of the podcast. Let's get John in here. I'm super excited about it. And, uh, yeah, we'll go from there. Alrighty, folks, we are back on the podcast, and I got John Devney on the line with me, and we are rearing to go. Uh, John Devney is the chief policy officer over there at Delta Waterfowl, and uh, we've had him on in the past, and we're super excited again to uh, have you on for you know definitely a, an exciting time um, in the summer coming up on fall uh, before we know. But how are you doing tonight? Everything's great. Uh, you know, we're hoping that we're going to get a nice rain tomorrow, keep these ponds full, and keep uh, keep the ducks cranking like they are here in the eastern Dakotas. It looks pretty, we're off to a pretty good start so far. Awesome. Definitely uh, definitely good news to hear from, um, you know, for all us waterfowlers and uh, in North Dakota, known as the duck factory and um yeah definitely always good to, good to hear that and i tell you this weather we've been having here lately uh with the cold front we had coming across the country has got me thinking uh about waterfowl probably earlier than i should be but um you know how it is it's just uh it's always on on the mind so um yeah yeah well and now that we're you know, we know the Fish and Wildlife Service probably just wrapped up their survey. North Dakota Game and Fish released results of their survey. It's kind of starting that time to start looking ahead about what the fall may bring. Definitely, definitely. Um, so where are you located at? Here in, right smack dab in the middle of the duck factory in uh, Bismarck, North Dakota. Awesome, awesome. Yep, that's a, that's probably a heck of a place to, to, to be located at um, as a waterfowl hunter. Well, yeah, I mean, the the beautiful thing about it is I get way more time with the ducks than folks in most parts of the world. You know, if you're an Arkansas duck hunter, yeah, there's a few ducks around before the start of your season and a few after the, after the end of your season. But, you know, we got them here, well, not so much this year, but normal year, all the way from March into November and even some years into December. So we get a lot of time with them. So that's a, that's a little bit of shots fired. Is uh, Bismarck actually the the duck capital of the of the U.S. or is it a? Oh no 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 no. We're we're not gonna. Yeah no, my good friends in Stuttgart probably aren't gonna let us claim that. So and I don't think Bismarck wants it. So I right, think we'll right. Let, I think Stuttgart's pretty. We'll let Stuttgart keep it. I don't think anybody wants that kind of heat. So. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, kind of to, to start us off jumping into, um, you know, the topic here. Um, one thing we're definitely going to cover is you kind of mentioned that a little bit earlier, but North Dakota just, um, dropped their waterfowl survey. So that's always cool to hear. Um, always waiting for that right at the beginning of summer. It's one of the, 
you know, one of the key moments in the summer is a, a waterfowl looking towards that. Um, but, you know, before we jump into that, um, can you kind of provide like an, an, an overview of what Delta Waterfowl's mission is and, and uh, you know, the work that the organization does to promote waterfowl conservation? Um, can you go yeah, ahead with that? I think, yeah, you know, historically, you know, if you go back to where, you know, Delta was founded all the way back in 1911 and is sort of operated in its, I guess, quote unquote, modern incarnation from 1938 to the present. You know, historically, Delta was a relatively small, quiet science organization uh, that was really contributing a good deal of our knowledge and understanding about duck ecology and was also training, you know, hundreds of really important young people that would go on to their careers, work for Fish and Wildlife Service, Canadian Wildlife Service, state agencies, Ducks Unlimited, you know, all the, you know, conservation organizations. And, you know, the organization sort of, um, sort of, sort of changed a little bit in the mid 1990s, which, you know, I came on shortly thereafter where the organization started to broaden its mission and programs to, you know, go from being solely a science and research organization to, you know, thinking about direct duck production through programs like henhouse and predator management, start thinking about how we can influence public policy to conserve and enhance duck habitat. And then in the early 2000s, we amended our mission statement to, because we understood that, you know, while we're all concerned about the plight of black ducks or pintails or bluebills, you know, maybe perhaps the biggest crisis in, in North America is not ducks, but the decline of duck hunting. So 2001, we specifically amended our mission and adjusted our programs to deal specifically with the future of hunting. So simply put, we're looking for a future with uh, abundant ducks maintaining the opportunity for folks to hunt. Awesome. Yep. That's uh, definitely cool to hear. And I, and I agree with you on, on all that too. And, you know, one thing that definitely uh, kind of strikes me and, and uh, all that, as you said, you know, the, one of the greatest um, enemies of duck conservation is the decline of duck hunters. So um, can you, can you dive a little deeper into that and, and um, kind of put an expl- explanation with that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm sure you and a number of your listeners have seen the Cornell Three Billion Bird Report, which documents the decline of, you know, birds across North America. And, you know, you see a lot of guilds of birds, especially, you know, birds out in this part of the world, grassland-dependent songbirds, but all sorts of bird communities are not doing well. Um, the Cornell highlighted the fact that the bird community, it seems to be, you know, raptors, I think, are doing pretty well. I'm not a bird nerd. spent too much time thinking about ducks. But the one of the things they noted in the report was that waterfowl are doing comparatively really well. Now, I think waterfowl have had the benefit of, you know, favorable environmental conditions. We've had a pretty good run of wet periods on the prairies. We've and, you know, you got overabundant Canada and snow geese helping rise those numbers. But what Cornell pointed out, I think it's really important for duck hunters to understand. And I wish more non-hunters would understand it is 
Cornell attributed to that, that the population status of waterfowl to the fact that waterfowl are hunted and have this built-in constituency that cares a great deal about ducks and geese and their habitat. And, you know, we I was just giving a presentation to some of our new staff today. You know, you think about the Fish and Wildlife Service easement program in eastern Dakotas is taking the duck stamp dollars that you and I buy, every, you know, the duck stamps that you and I buy every year and yeah. our fathers and our grandfathers, generations of hunters before us did. And they've leveraged that into real impact by buying easements uh, in the U.S. prey pothole region. And, you know, we've got, uh, you know, probably pretty decent estimate, 36% of the vulnerable wetlands in the U.S. prairies protected as a result of that one activity. Wow. Um, and, you know, you know, we're going into the 2023 Farm Bill. Um, you know, we're working with our colleagues across the conservation community to get a good conservation title for ducks and other wildlife. And duck hunters just show up. Um, they always show up, whether it's about conservation funding, um, whether it's about concern about a resource. Um, you know, duck hunters put their money where their mouth is. And they're, you know, despite the fact that there's fewer duck hunters today than there was, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, they still show up. They're active politically and politicians need to take them seriously. So you're right. If we continue to see a decline of hunters and that voice gets diminished and that investment in conservation is diminished, uh, you know, we just can't achieve the things we want to achieve in North America on behalf of ducks and duck habitat. Right. Right. Definitely. And I, and I, you hear a lot of, you know, anti hunters and, and, um, and their, their take on hunting is that it's, you know, it's hurting duck numbers and, and stuff like that when it's with, you know, duck hunting is conservation and that's, you know, you, you hear that all the time and it's, and it's definitely true and you can attest to it from, you know, uh, things like you're, you're just mentioning there. So, um, yeah, it's definitely something to be proud of as a duck hunter. Um, the way that we can come together with conservation and um, it is it is cool to to see that as as part of the duck hunting community. So, yep, definitely. I think it's in in listen hunters of you know hunters of all stripes. I mean, you know, we have more wild we have a broader distribution of wild turkeys than we did thirty years ago because of hunters, right? And right. We've got right. elk in places that we didn't have because of hunters um you know there's all of these success stories you know wood ducks were you know on you know at incredibly low levels in the 60s duck hunters started putting wood duck boxes out and so they're just time after time and example after an example of how hunters have been the way to lead conservation um you know teddy roosevelt didn't develop an interest um, in conservation because, you know, he wandered around in a zoo. He developed an interest in conservation because he was a sportsman. And, and they're just example after example after example of that. Definitely. Yep. And it's, it just feels almost like it's something that's innately built into us as hunters. It's, it's, it's something that we want to pass down to the next generation, whether it's, you know, our kids um, our nephews and nieces, whatever, you know, or, or just the next generation in general. It's, you know, it's, it's just something that, uh, it's when it's a passion, um, like hunting is, um, it's just something you want to share. So 
Uh, definitely. Well, and I think I think the other thing about it is, you know, if you're a birder, and ser- I know a lot of serious birders. I'm not one because I'm not good at identifying birds I can't eat. Um, <laughs> but but the you know birders treasure scarcity, um, and if there's a you know particular bird and a part of the world that you know people have a hard time you know, sort of writing down on their life list, you know, people clamor to see one of something. And in Hunter's Treasure Abundance, and, and <laughs> visiting with our volunteers and um, in Arkansas and Oklahoma this past weekend and said, you know, that, you know, I've been working for Delta um, in my 25th year right now. And, you know, I've talked to thousands upon thousands of duck hunters and I was a duck hunter long before I came to work for Delta and spent a lot of time with duck hunters, you know, in my personal life before I came to Delta and I've never heard duck hunter, never once said, you know what? Damn, there's just too many ducks. And so <laughs> because we treasure abundance like that, we're always trying to do better. We, you know, we're not satisfied with the way things are today. We're optimistic and we're hopeful and we, and we want to see, you know, we, we all believe the next duck hunt is going to be better than the one we were just on. And, and I think that has a huge influence on our conservation mindset too. Right. Definitely. Alrighty. Well, let's jump to, uh, the North Dakota waterfowl survey. It's, uh, um, just came out this last week. I got a chance to check it over, but, um, let's hear, let's hear what you have to say about it. Well, you know, I mean, lots of good news. The, it, the thing that's really interesting is, you know, we had this incredibly brutal winter it started in the second, second or third week in November. Um, it resulted in me not climbing in the deer stand once during oh, yeah. our rifle. Uh, cause you, I, frankly, I mean, I, I was, I'm kind of a wimp when it comes to deer hunting. <laughs> not, yeah. I, I like to deer hunt, but I'm not going to suffer that much for it. Um, it also resulted in me not killing a ringneck pheasant in North Dakota, which is completely unheard of. But oh, wow. we just had insane amounts of snow early. Um, you know, November and December were just bonkers in terms of really heavy snow, really heavy wind. Um, and then, you know, January wasn't quite as awful, but then, you know, February, March, and April were pretty brutal again. And we came within a couple of inches here at Bismarck of setting the all-time snow record right around 105 inches, which is a hell of a lot of snow uh, for this part of the world. So, you know, you'd think with us being just a couple inches off the record snowpack that we would have had, you know, once the snow started melt, there'd just be water everywhere. But we went into the fall really pretty dry. We were wet last spring. We were wet until about the 4th of July, and then we got brutal dry again. And so, you know, all that 105 inches of snow really didn't translate into great wetland conditions right away. I think it probably filled in the cracks <laughs> and probably made the bottom of the pond. You know, we filled the soil profile with moisture from that snow melt, but it was really timely rains in late April in May that really set the table. And sort of interesting thing about it, um, you know, North, that's sort of the look at North Dakota. I think, you know, places like Southern Saskatchewan really came out of winter. They didn't have quite the big snow that we did. They had plenty of snow, but they were pretty dry 
when the breeding season hit, but you know, they've been the benefit really nice rains, especially in southeastern Saskatchewan over the last couple of weeks. So, you know, we went from being terrible dry, um, terrible dry last fall, mountain of snow. It's funny because in this part of the world, everybody loves to see you're getting snow when they're in Arkansas or Louisiana <laughs> or Missouri. First of all, it's going to drive the ducks down, right? And then they're all right. like, well, it's going to be great for next spring. I thought, well, you know, you're welcome to come up and bring a damn shovel because we're pretty tired of it at this <laughs> point. So, but yeah, so, you know, North Dakota report showed that, you know, wetland conditions weren't last year was crazy wet early. We're not quite that wet. Um, but wetland conditions, I guess they said they're the seventh highest overall based on the metric that they used. Um, and duck populations, you know, are pretty good. Um, you know, 3.4 million breeding ducks in North Dakota is a heck of a lot of ducks. Definitely. Yeah, that is, uh, that is uh, a lot of ducks. It's hard to quantify, you know, three point. Four million in a, in in your mind when you're just thinking because it's like that's that's just a, a lot of ducks, but um, yeah, definitely. So um, things are things are looking great. Yeah, in you know, in you know, when you think about the annual duck production cycle, what we want is water in the right places in the prairies in the spring to get ducks to settle in the best habitats, and you know, we did that. For sure, I think in the two, you know, eastern North Dakota, eastern South Dakota, Manitoba was kind of averageish. Um, you know, I'm going to be curious to see what the reports are out of Saskatchewan and Alberta when we get them from the Fish and Wildlife Service in August because it was definitely drier up there. But, you know, we've had years like this where, you know, we can jam a heck of a lot of ducks in the eastern Dakotas and have really good production. Right. Right. That's, uh, that's definitely, you know, it's something that you might not think about as a, as an outsider, um, that the ducks can just move to, to where that good habitat is, you know, if it's further up North or in the Dakotas, or I know a couple of years ago when we had the, the really dry conditions, they're saying they're, they're going all the way up, um, way far up North in, in Canada for their breeding potentially. And, um, but one thing I wanted to kind of drop down, uh, back to, uh, was when you're talking about the estimates and all that, um, are, are these, when they're doing those counts, are they doing flyovers and counts for that? The North Dakota Game and Fish Survey is actually uh, a roadside survey. So they have transects. The interesting thing about the North Dakota survey is, first of all, it's older than the Fish and Wildlife Survey, which I don't think many people realize. The other thing that's nice about the North Dakota survey is they maintained the survey in 2020 and 2021 when the feds weren't in a position to conduct it due to COVID protocols. So it's the single largest uninterrupted data set of breeding ducks we have in North America, which is pretty cool. And, you know, those, you know, those estimates are not used for harvest, but, you know, North Dakota is the most important breeding duck jurisdiction in the United States. And the leadership and the staff at the North Dakota Game and Fish should be commended because, you know, they continue to make that effort every single year to make sure they're documenting what's happening here and in a pretty darn important place for breeding ducks. Right, definitely. Um, and so do you want to go into a little detail? I'm just kind of curious uh, as far as like how they 
come up with those those numbers on their roadside um, counts. And then, man, that's a lot of roads to to drive. How long does that take? Oh, it takes some. Boy, I, you're gonna catch me in a lie here, <laughs> but I bet you it takes. I bet you it takes some two and a half, three weeks would be my guess from start really? to finish. Okay. Plus they in in they start. You know, what they're looking for is they want to time the survey right. So they do what they refer to as some test runs because, you know, especially in the late year, which this year certainly was, you could find yourself in a position where if you're not being sensitive to the sort of social groupings and the behavior of ducks, mm-hmm. you can go out there and, and count a bunch of ducks that are probably not going to breed here. Um, just they're staged up in big numbers and they're going to push through. So what they do is the staff goes out and does these test runs to make sure that, you know, what they're seeing is largely indicated pairs and not big flocks of ducks. And, right. Right. You know, and you know, different ducks have sort of different, you know, phenology or different timing of when they nest pintails being on, pintails and mallards being on the early end of that and then lesser scop and ruddy ducks being on the very tail end of it. Um, so, you know, they want to be sensitive and make sure they're counting ducks that are likely going to be resident breeders. Definitely. Okay, cool. So yeah, let's get down into the nitty gritty a little bit with, uh, some of the numbers of, of what they're seeing on, um, you know, the, the, the population there. Yeah, I mean, the total duck estimate was just above 3.4 million, just a little bit above the breeding estimate for last year. Uh, you know, I think two things that, you know, I'm not going to read too much into. Uh, mallards were down 10%, but, you know, we're still talking about 640,000 breeding mallards. And blue wings were down a little bit, too, at 925,000, which is a hell of a lot of blue wings. <laughs> Um, when this country's wet, it'll support a lot of blueing teal. But, you know, increases in redheads, cans, and spoonies. Um, but I think the big news, and this should be welcome news to all duck hunters, is a huge increase in breeding pintails. Um, and this brings their numbers up to some of the highest levels we've seen here in North Dakota. And, you know, I, I don't know how widely it was understood by the duck hunting community last year, but that population estimate for pintails is one of the lowest has ever been recorded. Mm. And it was kind of frightening because, you know, we were pretty close to being in a closed pintail season last year. Now um, we can debate the merits of whether that's a good idea or a bad idea, but you know, the models showed that we were pretty close to having closed pintail season last year. Wow. Yeah. That would have been a, That'd been unfortunate because I shot my first pintail last year. So, <laughs> well, and pintails are pretty darn important if you're a duck hunter on the Texas coast, and right? Duck hunter in the Central Valley, California. Um, you know, pintails are very important. They're important to lots of places. I'm always surprised how important they are in the Mid Atlantic. Um, you know, some places in the Great Lakes, the um, right. Sandusky marshes in. Ohio shoot a hell of a lot of pintail. Obviously, Arkansas and Louisiana as well. We we don't need any closed seasons on duck species right now. That's for sure. Yeah, 
Yep, I can agree with you on that. And I'm glad to see the the number jumped up there. Is that is that 40% compared to like a long-term average or is that uh, from the previous year? From the previous year. Okay, so yeah, that's the previous the year. Number wasn't, yeah, the number wasn't terrible in the Eastern Dakotas all last year. So it's, I mean, that's a pretty big bump. Right, right. And in, uh, in, in the... The article there it says the the largest number since um, two thousand. Yep. So that's yep. that's uh, that's definitely great to hear, and um, you know that's one one thing you know um, when we've talked in the past about Pentel, it's just uh, there hasn't really been a great answer to how we get pen, Pentel numbers up, and so um, do they really have an answer to what is attributing to this big jump, or is it just having good breeding conditions overall? Well, pintail are a funny duck and, um, you know, first pintail are probably the most wandering of our prairie ducks. And, and so they really chase re- the best of the best water conditions because remember pintails are coming back early. So they're really driven by those small temporary and seasonal wetlands. And, and so when those basins are wet, pintails tend to fill that habitat up in a big way. Um, in, in, so, you know, I think in, it's pretty remarkable how much pintail wander. I wouldn't be surprised if some of those pintail that we're seeing in the Eastern Dakotas this year didn't winter in places as far away as New Mexico, California, oh, wow. Utah, those sorts of places, just because of the way they wander. And, and the other thing about it is, you know, Alberta was really quite dry last year. Western Saskatchewan was really quite dry last year, which is the historic heart of the pintail range. But it's been really interesting to watch over the last 20, 25 years. The pintail population has sort of redistributed. And and if you look at, you know, where, it, you know, where the pintail population, you know, used to be most abundant when your grandfather was hunting. It was Alberta, Southern Alberta and Southern Saskatchewan. Um, and, and it's really shifted towards Eastern Dakotas. I think that's, I mean, there's a number of reasons for that, but our wetland resource is in better shape here. We haven't had the same losses of wetlands that we've had, especially those small shallow wetlands in the Dakotas like we have in Prairie Canada. And we've also had, although it's, certainly at lower levels today than it was, you know, up to 2007. But, you know, we've still got a fair bit of conservation reserve program grass up there too. So, you know, we can attract pintails with those wetlands and we can have pretty good pintail recruitment because of that grass. And, um, obviously, you've got pintails up in Alaska as well. That population tends to be a little bit more stable just by the nature of the habitat up there. Awesome. Awesome. Yep, that's... Uh... That's super cool to hear. So I'm 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 definitely jacked about that. And um, like I said, pintail are are definitely a, an important waterfowl species. And um, I I know I get excited every time I I see one uh, flying around, regardless of uh, if I can get them to come into the decoys or not. So yeah, pretty a, special duck. Definitely, that's a cool to hear. So uh, anything else we should touch on on the the waterfowl survey in the North Dakota waterfowl survey? Well, I think the thing, it's always great to get that sort of first glimpse. Um, You know, the the one that matters, of course, is the Fish and Wildlife Survey. That's 
how the Fish and Wildlife Service and the flyways set regulations. And, you know, I, I think the North Dakota survey confirms what I think a lot of us thought is, you know, wetland look, conditions look pretty good. We're seeing lots of pintails, lots of breeding ducks. Things look good here. It's going to be, it's always good, though, to get that bigger look when those numbers are released in August, just about the whole of the distribution of breeding ducks. And what is, you know, what is a dry, another relatively dry year in southern Alberta mean? You know, what does Saskatchewan look like on the whole? You know, another area, especially for pintails, really important is the sort of high line of Montana. When that country is wet, it can produce a hell of a lot of pintails. So, you know, this is sort of the, I think this is a sort of appetizer of things to come, and then we'll sort of get the full meal deal from the feds in August when we can sort of look at the whole of the breeding range and really get the context of, you know, what we should see as a fall flight. Right. So uh, I might, I might uh, put you out on a limb here, but do you have any predictions for what we might see in that, uh, the fish and wildlife survey? I, I'm guessing we're going to see good numbers, you know, above average numbers, you know, sort of on par with last year, maybe a little bit better out of the Eastern Dakotas. I think Manitoba is going to be pretty similar to what it was last year. Um, I think Saskatchewan's going to be mixed. I think, there's areas of Saskatchewan that are going to be pretty good. I think there's other areas that are going to be pretty dry. And, um, you know, I just don't know when we're ever going to see Southern Alberta get out of a drought ever again. It mm. seems like it's been persistently dry there for a long, long time. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, so one other thing to kind of hit on there, and maybe this gets you a little bit further away from home on this question, but um, in, in kind of the same regards to the Fish and Wildlife Service, do you have any uh, – prediction on any changes they might or maybe you've heard something maybe uh any any uh changes they might have in store for the atlantic flyway this year yeah they're going to go back to four mallards all right that's that's good for uh anybody over there so yep so that's that's been confirmed and you know there's been concerns about that ap canada goose population and you know those populations have recovered a little bit and so they're going to more liberal canada goose regulations for those migratory birds that come out of the angava peninsula in canada so you know i think pretty darn good news for atlantic flyway waterfall hunters would go back to shooting four mallards and have a little bit more opportunity to shoot those migrant hawkers definitely yeah that's uh gonna be awesome for for all our uh, listeners over on the Atlantic Flyway, and uh, that's that's great news. And um, I can't remember were their days reduced as well, or is that just something they talked about? No, they didn't. Uh, they didn't. Not for ducks. They reduced the days for honkers. That's right. They yep. did not reduce the duck days for ducks. Okay. Well, we'll we will wait till August and uh, <laughs> and wait for those those waterfowl count, counts to come in and and see what the the suggestions from or the, the regulations from the fish and wildlife service, um, will be on all that. So, yeah, uh, that's right. Awesome. All righty. So we'll jump back to, uh, talking more about Delta waterfowl here. And, um, you know, uh, Delta is a, a big, a big proponent of waterfowl conservation. Um, so, as far as that goes, you know, something we haven't mentioned is the predator control. So, um, you know, from from 
that perspective, what is, uh, what is Delta's mission on that? Well, I think, you know, I think this sort of goes back to really set the context for this. This really goes back to conversations that were happening at Delta in the late 80s and early 90s. You're not old enough to remember probably, <laughs> but, you know, those were days when we had really crippling drought across the whole of the prairies. Um, you know, mallard numbers were at extraordinarily low levels, lowest levels ever surveyed, um, yet closed seasons for canvasbacks and redheads. Um, you know, they were pretty dark days and, and I think, you know, I think that coupled with Delta's research perspective and having lots of people on the ground sort of struggling with, you know, how are we going to get ducks to come back again? Um, now, you know, we know what happened in 1993, the rains came back in the U S prairies. We had CRP and Holy cow, did they come back? Right. They came back pretty quickly and in 60 and 19 uh, went to a liberal season in 94 and then went to six and 60, I think in 95 or 96 the place we've been now forever. But it was that, that time Delta's, you know, sort of the duck depression of the early mm. late eighties and early nineties that had Delta thinking about how are we going to deal with some of these problems? And, you know, it's been no shortage you know, no shocking revelation to waterfall managers that predation really has a big influence on annual duck production. And, you know, research that was coming out in the in the 90s showed that nest success had tr- declined dramatically. Um, and in many, most er- many or most areas of the prairies, nest success was down at 10%, which is... Mm quite a bit lower than we need for duck net success for duck populations to increase year over year. And so you, know, you start thinking about, you know, again, in the dark days, you start thinking about, well, what can we do? And, and predator management was one of those things that came up as a prospective solution. And, you know, there had been work done on predator management in the sixties in, in North Dakota by a guy that um, a legendary waterfall researcher, Harold Dubert, unfortunately passed away, not this past spring, but the spring before, but you know, Harold was using poison <laughs> and it worked, it worked really well. Um, <laughs> but you know, we're not doing those sorts of things anymore. And, and the results after that were pretty equivocal that, you know, we weren't sure that trapping would ever make a difference. Well, the Delta board said, you know, we're going to get after this and try it. And in 1994, we launched our first investigation into, you know, the effectiveness of predator management to, to enhance duck production. And holy cow, it worked. And, you know, we've studied it at various scales across various jurisdictions. And, you know, really consistently, we get a two to three-fold increase in that success. Wow. That is um, and so, you know, we're taking areas, you know, and we typically, the way the program's targeted today, we're typically working in those landscapes where you have high wetland density, but not much nesting cover and areas that we know predation rates are going to be really, really high to make sure those landscapes can continue to produce ducks. I mean, we're not going in 
the areas that have huge amounts of grass and trapping there because we think those ducks are generally doing pretty well on their own. But we know there's a lot of landscapes out there that because they're high-quality soils, because it's desirable cropland, but we still have a wetland resource, uh, those are the areas that we focus cropping on. Definitely. That seems, uh, man, it seems when we talked about the survey, you know, 3.4 million ducks and uh, the trapping, you know, that just, that seems like a, a lot to handle with uh, going after all the trapping and obviously any, any trapping you can get, but how do, how does Delta manage the trapping on that, that big of a scale? Well, the thing about it is, I mean, I, the question, you know, if you're going to deal with the habitat, how you deal with the habitat base that extends from Des Moines, Iowa to the Peace River Valley of Alberta, right? You're not going to buy it all, right? We're never going to protect it all with easement. So what you do is you make sure you're optimizing your investment, right? So you want to go to landscapes, like I described earlier, where you know ducks are going to do pretty poorly. You got, you know, low low predicted nest success because there isn't much nesting cover. And then you go to places that are the highest quality breeding habitat with that cover constraint. And, you know, we're talking about areas that have, you know, 80, 100, 110, 120 pairs of breeding ducks per square mile. So, you know, you think about it and you're like, well, God, you're not going to trap the whole prairies. And of course we're not going to trap the whole prairies. And I mean, even at full program maturity, we're talking about trapping 150, 160 sites across all of the prairie pothole region. But we can have a huge impact with that approach when you target it in the, in the right way. Gotcha. Definitely. Yeah, that makes that makes sense then. Uh, and uh, going in there with uh, surgical precision uh, on the predators opposed to um, wide scale where, you know, it's just uh, there's almost too much area to cover. Yeah, and I mean, people will say, well, wouldn't it be more efficient to just do a bounty? Well, except the problem with bounties is, you know, I was in Saskatchewan two weeks ago for a number of meetings, and one of the guys was joking about the bounty they put on coyotes in Saskatchewan, and, you know, they had run it for a couple of years, and what was happening is the Hutterite colonies in Saskatchewan were calling the Hutterite colonies and send them all their coyote tails. <laughs> If, you know, uh, bounties have a way of getting people pretty creative. You find a lot of, you find a lot of critters on the side of the road with no tails or front legs. So, you know, that's, that's not an effective way to manage predators. But when you're very prescriptive and you're using professional trappers, the best of the best trappers and, and having them focused on the best of the best landscapes where you can have the biggest net increase in ducks. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about program management. Awesome. Well, John, you've been at Delta for uh, 25 years, and that's uh, that's definitely something to be proud of, uh, a tenure like that. Um, so you're probably a perfect person to speak on this, but can you share any success stories or notable achievements that, that Delta Waterfowl has had just over those years and in, in their conservation efforts? There's a lot of things to be proud of. I think, you know, you know, and I'm going to miss some probably pretty material ones, but I think, you know, I think Delta's leadership in advocating for duck hunters, um, 
you know, I mentioned earlier that in 2001, we amended our mission statement, our programs to be very explicit that we work for duck hunters. And, you know, I think the sort of sentiment around Delta is, you know, we can do great duck research. We can work on public policy to conserve habitat. You know, we can raise a bunch of ducks through predator management and hen houses. But if there's nobody out in the marsh enjoying those, why in the hell would we do it? And so duck hunting and duck hunters became sort of center of everything we do. And I, I think that's a really, it's very subtle. It's not a sort of milestone. It's not a rock Karen kind of event, but I think it's, I think it's pretty important in terms of the history of waterfall conservation and hunting. I think it's a really important moment in Delta's thinking and evolution as an organization from a bunch of quiet duck geeks doing work (laughs) over, you know, a big long time horizon. You know, I think some of the other notable things, uh, you know, Delta led the effort in 1999 to use conservation easements to conserve habitat in Canada. You know, we'd been, Fish and Wildlife Service had been doing that since the 50s in North Dakota, but that, that tool didn't exist in Prairie Canada until we brought it there. And and now you've got Ducks Unlimited Canada, Nature Conservancy of Canada, Manitoba Habitat Heritage Corporation are using that tool to conserve important duck habitat up there. Um, you know, one that predates my time, but it it's something that we're spending a lot of time thinking about and working on is, the, you know, the work that Delta did back in the 40s and 50s documenting the importance of small wetlands in the agricultural landscape in terms of being the driver of continental duck populations. And, and you know, the work that Delta's done to really elevate that and the awareness of that amongst the duck hunting community and then the work that we've done to get a new program established in the 2018 Farm Bill that we're working right now on to getting up to, you know, a very meaningful scale, hopefully $50 million a year being invested Minnesota, Iowa, the Dakotas, and Montana conserve habitat. And, you know, my dear friend and colleague, Jim Fisher in Canada, worked with the Manitoba government to get them to commit to new programming and conserve 90% of the province's remaining ephemeral and temporary wetlands and the work he's doing in Saskatchewan, Alberta. So, I mean, listen, we could probably spend three and a half (laughs) hours on it, but those are a few things that sort of come immediately Awesome. Yeah, that's definitely cool to hear. And I, I agree with you on all that. So kind of shifting um, some of that focus away to away from Delta and back on the ind- individuals. And um, they're definitely an important part uh, in, in Delta's plan as well. And so what can individuals do to be involved with Delta's efforts and and in the conservation efforts for duck hunting? You know, I mean, there's lots of ways for folks to get involved depending on their sort of their position in life and everything else. I mean, I think, you know, keeping up to speed on the issues, I think duck hunters are better informed today, you know, through tools like this and, you know, social media, some of it's absolute garbage, but some of it's pretty <laughs> actually useful and informative, um, you know, you know, just keep up on the issues, you know, you know, talk about things like pintails and those are important issues that have big implications for duck hunters. And and I think hunters are generally better informed. I mean, you know, 
there's lots of opportunities out there to become a member and understand more what we're doing, um, to volunteer. Um, that's one of the things that's been, you know, it, 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 I wouldn't say it's a, I think it's been mission critical, but I didn't mention it in the, in my last summary of things I'm proudest of, but, you know, when I started at Delta, we had a teeny tiny membership and, and we didn't have a chapter and event system. And, you know, our chapter and event system now has, you know, chapters all over, you know, all four flyways, really robust support. And the, the way our chapter system is structured, those chapters are delivering our mission right there in the community. It's working on first town events or, you know, working with, to develop and deliver our university hunting program to get young adults in the marsh or it's working on boxes or advocating for conservation funding in their communities. I mean, those people are absolutely essential into helping Delta deliver its mission. And, and I think duck hunters really appreciate the opportunity, yeah, to invest in predator men like North Dakota or ag policy in a place like Saskatchewan or Manitoba but to have a tangible reflection of the Delta mission right in their communities, I think is really important too. Yes, sir. Awesome. I couldn't uh, agree with all that anymore. So, um, but I, I feel like this is probably a pretty good place to go ahead and wrap up. Um, I really appreciate you coming on, giving us the time to, um, to share your wealth of knowledge and, and, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that's happened, you know, not just currently, but over the years with Delta and, um, it's been an awesome conversation. Well, thank you. And, and best of luck to you and all your listeners. We'll keep hoping for good news as these survey results come in and wish everybody a wonderful fall. All righty. Thanks, John. Thank you. All righty, folks. Thank you for tuning in. That was a great episode there with John uh, Devney of Delta Waterfowl. And I know I'm super excited to hear everything they got going on. Um, it's definitely a, you know, an exciting time when you have a wet year, um, for the breeding population and, um, great news pretty much all around. So, um, yeah. Uh, but before we head out guys, just a reminder, check out that Patreon group, patreon.com slash duck and chronicles. Um, and also, you know, uh, drop us a five star rating over there. Um, it helps us out a lot. It's something I haven't said in the past. I'm going to start shouting that out here at the end. Um, guys, I want to spread the duck gun podcast far and wide. Um, for a long time, we've been one of the biggest and best waterfowl podcasts. And, you know, I got great plans, uh, to keep that going. So stay tuned guys. Every week we're going to be hammered out. I got a lineup of some awesome guests coming your way. So that's all I got for tonight, guys. I'm Jordan duck and chronicles, and we'll see you guys on the next one.